and welcome back to the podcast, Amazing Tales from Off and On Connecticut's Beaten Path. I'm your host, Mike Allen. You know, most Connecticut residents remember that we had a professional hockey team in Connecticut at one point in time, the Hartford Whalers, and they played here from 1979 to 1997. But I'd go out on a limb and wager a bet that most people don't know that we once had a professional football team in Connecticut. And I mean a member of the National Football League. And I'm not talking about the two years that the New York Giants played at the Yale Bowl in New Haven while they were waiting for their stadium to be refurbished. No, my guest for this episode has all the details behind the nearly 100-year-old secret of the first and only NFL team in Connecticut. He's Andy Piazic, a professional writer from Bridgeport, and wait until you hear this story. Stay tuned for Connecticut's only pro football team. I like sports. I played them up through high school. Varsity soccer, baseball, a little basketball. But growing up in Fairfield County, most of my life meant that if I wanted to see a pro sports game, I had to go to New York City. I could see the Yankees and the Mets there, or the football giants and Jets until they moved to New Jersey. And then the Rangers and Knicks, of course, played at Madison Square Garden. I went to college in Boston, so I became familiar with Fenway Park and saw a lot of Red Sox games up there. Even took in a Boston Bruins game while I was in the Bean City. Well, the New England Patriots at one point, their owner, said, you know, we might move to Hartford. In fact, they went so far as to pick out a spot on the banks of the Connecticut River. Turns out they were just angling for a better deal with Foxborough, Massachusetts, and when that deal was announced, it broke a lot of hearts in Connecticut because the chance for a pro football team had gone away. Well, I still remember 1979 when the World Hockey Association's New England Whalers said, we're moving to Hartford and joining the National Hockey League and forming the Hartford Whalers. It was exciting. Connecticut had a pro sports franchise. Well, we also had the Connecticut Sun, the women's basketball team that plays at the Mohegan Sun Arena in Uncasville. It's part of the WNBA. It's a little bit remote, though. It's in southeastern Connecticut and a long way for somebody like me from Fairfield County. Well, other than those options, Connecticut is caught between the New York and Boston sports markets and really doesn't have much to call its own. It wasn't always this way, though, and Andy Piasek, a writer from Bridgeport, did a great article on what it turns out was Connecticut's only pro football team ever, the Hartford Blues. Yes, the Blues were actually in the National Football League, the same NFL that exists today. They played at a place called the Velodrome in East Hartford. Now, the Velodrome basically was a bicycle racing arena that doubled as a football field when the Hartford Blues were playing. Now, Andy cautions that 100 years ago, the NFL didn't look anything like it does today. The majority of the teams were in what I would call small and medium-sized cities. You had a number of cities throughout Ohio, Toledo, Akron, Canton. There was a team in Providence. All those cities are roughly in the 150,000 to 300,000 range. And there were many large cities that didn't have teams at all. We're really talking just about the northeastern quadrant of the United States. 
it was pretty much open to whoever wanted to pay the entrance fee, which by even prorated by today's standards was quite low. And the game was not anywhere near popular the way it would become so that if a team or a game drew 10,000 people, that was quite large. We're not talking anywhere near what we know of the NFL today with mega stadiums and massive amounts of money from all different sources. So that's what the NFL looked like back then. Question is, how did the Hartford Blues actually come to be? Sports promoter by the name of George Mulligan, who had run and owned a semi-pro team in Waterbury for one year and then relocated it to Hartford, decided that he would take the plunge in 1926 pay the entrance fee, and that's the way it was that the Hartford Blues were born. They were originally the Waterbury Blues as an independent team, probably traveled around Connecticut and maybe parts of eastern New York State to play similar teams. A lot of them were associated with workplaces. You know, people know, of course, about the Green Bay Packers. They were actually made up of men who worked in a packing factory in the Green Bay area somewhere. But they played one year as a semi-pro independent team in 1925 in Hartford, and then Mulligan decided to go big time and try to make a go of it in the NFL. So Mulligan got involved in this rather strange league. There were teams from cities with names like Pottsville and Frankfurt. Frankfurt's in Pennsylvania, not sure about Pottsville. But it wasn't all small-town no-names. Now, when you look at the roster of teams that they played and the schedule that was published in the uh, Hartford Current, the one team that kind of stuck out, I was like, whoa, there's the New York Giants. Is that the same New York Giants we root for today? Yes, and that was the very, very beginnings of the New York Giants franchise. So in that case quite interesting that you have by far the largest city in the country playing a game against a team. I don't. I think the population of Hartford was certainly less than 200,000 and maybe more like closer to 100,000. But that was the nature of the NFL at that time. Smaller towns and cities were able to make a go of it at least up until some decades later because the money that was necessary and the attendance that you needed to sustain a team was not on the scale of what we've come to know in more recent decades. Now, another big difference between back then and today for the NFL was how they scheduled home and away games. When two teams struck an agreement, they were it was basically left up to them where they would play. So if you go through and you look at the Hartford schedule, the vast majority of their games were played in Hartford. And I'm not sure if some of the other teams felt like, well, this is their first year in the league. It'll be a nice novelty for the people in Hartford, so we're likely to have good crowds. Because remember, there was no television or even radio at that point. The money that the teams made and what they were able to pay staff and players was 100% determined by the attendance at the game and whatever people might have spent on uh, concessions. The financial circumstances for the Hartford Blues football team changed rather drastically as the season progressed. It worked out okay in the beginning, but then as the season went along, it it didn't really uh, work out so well. I'd say overwhelmingly, probably 95% of ticket sales were walk-ups. There were no such thing as season ticket plans at that time that I know of. Probably a small percentage of people bought their tickets in advance. The vast majority of ticket sales were people woke up uh, that morning, 
If it was nice out, they would decide that they were going to go to the game. If it was raining or if it was 18 degrees and they didn't feel like dealing with it, they didn't go. And that had a tremendous effect on whether a team was successful or not. I think more toward the latter part of the season, November and then uh, into December, where the weather really played a lot of, caused a lot of problems for the Hartford Blues. When you talk about the velodrome, I found this interesting, too. I mean, it's in East Hartford, so technically, uh, I would imagine the population base was in actually the city of Hartford, so they had to go across the Connecticut River, and, uh, you know, I'm not sure exactly what mass transit was available at the time, but I'm imagining that had an impact as well. Yeah, I don't know the specifics either, but I imagine there was some kind of streetcar or trolley service. There were probably very few people who traveled to and from games by automobile. The teams were dependent on people who lived fairly close by or who were willing to travel by mass transit overwhelmingly. Now, it seems like, if I have it right, that the fan base for the the first game was the peak, and from there it went down. I mean, they drew 6,500, I think you say in your article, for the first game, which they lost 21 to nothing, and it doesn't seem like they went that high again for the whole season. They had a couple of good turnouts, that being the highest in the first game, which I guess is kind of what you might expect. And then they had another game that was roughly 4,500. I imagine a crowd of 4,500 and certainly 6,500 would be a positive. And when you get down closer to what they were drawing later in the season, which was more 1,000, 1,500, the owner is beginning to lose money. So 1927, they've had their season. They went 3-7. and seven. And it was the NFL that made the decision then to say, I think you're out of the league? That's the way I understood it, although I doubt that the owner of the Blues had too much objections because my understanding is that he did lose a fair amount of money that uh, one season. Well, then he turns it back to an independent team, rebrands it the Hartford Giants, and they have a great season. Yeah, that's right. Certainly the level of competition would not have been the same as what they would have played in the NFL. So they were back to probably playing local city teams and town teams throughout Connecticut, maybe up into Massachusetts or uh, eastern New York. Well, you have to face it, it's simply tough to attract a big league professional sporting team to Connecticut. And in large part, that's thanks to the rather sparse population that we have throughout the states. When you're talking about 150,000 in any one city out of three uh, three and a half million people, you really have no choice but to try to draw from a fairly large geographic range. And that's not always that easy, especially when you're wedged in between two historic cities that have long traditions of pro sports. Well, for those among you who are unbridled sports fans and simply have to take in a pro game every now and again, we do have some available in Connecticut. As we said up front, the Connecticut Sun women's basketball team plays at the Mohegan Sun Arena in Uncasville, and they're part of the WNBA. A couple of baseball options. First of all, the New Britain Bees men's baseball team. They're a professional team, part of the Atlantic League. And there's the Hartford Yard Goats, a men's minor league club that's associated with the Colorado Rockies. And there's two in hockey, the Bridgeport Islanders. They're the farm team for the New York Islanders. They're a men's hockey team. And there's a women's hockey team in Connecticut, a professional one, the Connecticut Whale, and they're based in Danbury. Other than that, it's pretty slim pickings for professional sports. And it looks highly unlikely that Connecticut will ever have another chance to prove it can support a professional football team.
wraps up this episode of Amazing Sports Tales from Off and On Connecticut's Beaten Path. My thanks to Andy Piasek. He's the professional writer from Bridgeport who's also the author of a great article on the Hartford Blues football team. If you like this show, I'd ask you to do two things. Number one, make sure you follow the podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and that way you'll be notified when the next episode is published. Also, tell your friends. Share the Amazing Tales CT link with them. Also, I make appearances to do presentations on topics I discuss here on Amazing Tales. If you want to, I can show up in person or do it on Zoom. Just drop me an email at amazingtalesct at gmail.com and we'll discuss it further. Amazing Tales from Off and On Connecticut's Beaten Path is a production of True North Associates, LLC. This is Mike Allen. Be safe and stay healthy. Thank you.